All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Richard, for being part of part of our podcast today on the Practical Broker. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time to to do this with us. And, and yeah, you bet. Us. It's great. So I heard from what you're telling me, you're a father of five. Yes. How old are your kids? So they're all under 12. So uh, basically 11, 9, 7, 5, and then one and a half, we'll say. (laughs) That's awesome. You must get the same thing I get all the time is uh, I have four kids and people think, you know, I look like I'm in my 30s. You you look like you're in your early 30s. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 35. So. Wow, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> Thanks. I, I don't know if you get it. I get it all the time. People are saying, how do you manage to have your businesses and they're different you know, thing, and five kids and being married and write two books? Like, that's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's my wife. <laughs> she gets the credit. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so Richard Moxley is, for our listeners, he's a well-renowned author. This is your second book coming out. Yep. You've been hosted on CBC and CTV, as well as a whole bunch of various media outlets. That's quite, uh, it's quite an accomplishment. And this is your second book. So how did you find writing your second book versus your first one? Uh, the second book was uh, a lot easier and harder at the same time. So the, the writing process was much easier uh, just because I, I had spent the last six years essentially with a, a, a very well written message. Uh, but because there has been so many changes, uh, you know, with doing speaking engagements and talking with clients, uh, there's many things that the book was outdated on or things that, you know, I had been essentially thinking, I really need to update this because, you know, so much has changed or I've learned so much more, uh, than what was in the first book. And so, uh, what I had learned from writing the first book was that, uh, trying to sit down with everything else I got going on and just writing a book. Uh, for me, I, I don't have the attention span uh, to be able to do that. Uh, you know, there's always some kid or some, you know, client that's on the phone or, you know, someone that needs attention. So what I found very useful is when I was dealing with a client or when something was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's really good information. What I would do is just pause for five minutes, write it down. And then as I was going and preparing for the book, then I could go and elaborate and, and make sure that that scenario and that, uh, that story was in the book uh, because then I had the credit reports already saved to a specific file that was essentially for the book. Then I could review it, go through it, and, and write it in more detail and, and uh, remember what was that aha moment that I had. Oh, that's a great strategy. I've been um, three quarters of the way through writing my book on private lending and, and yeah. teaching investors how to lend their money. And I wish I would have taken that strategy. It would have been <laughs> so much easier than going back. And what did I do five years ago? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to replay that. Uh, and so that's what I found is just whenever I'm surprised or, you know, there's, I was like, yes, this is the perfect example for what I, the message I'm trying to get across. Then I would go and match those up and, and then, put it in a file separate so that I could find it again, which is always the hard part, trying to find it again. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My Google drive folder is a little bit of a mess as as my staff knows. Yeah. You started in this business as working for one of Canada's largest teams. Yes. And then that led you into the passion for credit and really realizing that people, 
you know, they were paying high interest rates, high fees, and sometimes for very silly reasons. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, uh, you know, you jump into the industry and, and I, I started in 2006 and at the time, I, I don't know if, if a lot has changed, but they, they don't really tell you anything about credit reports. Uh, you essentially just learn on the job and you essentially regurgitate whatever your head broker or whoever's training you or, or whatever you kind of hear. And when I sat down and wrote the book, <laughs> then everything becomes very real because you don't want to put your name on something Right. that someone could challenge or, you know, essentially call you out on, you know, I had this dream. I was, you know, on a, you know, on a big stage or something. And then someone's like, no, that's not how it is. And you wake up and you're like, Oh crap, you know, do I really know how it is? And so that's why studying thousands of credit reports and getting that message very well firmed and then testing all of it uh, was a very important process for what I was trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been in this business now 25 years. And when I first started, uh, same thing, there was nobody to teach you anything really. Yeah. I said, okay, here's a credit report. I'm like, okay, what does all this stuff mean? You know, yeah. all these codes and yeah. and even the credit providers, they don't like to dig for what some of these codes mean is challenging on its own. Yeah. And and the, the challenging part is that the lenders rely so heavily on this three-digit mystical score. However, they don't even know how that is uh, works or how uh, the system is set up. And so when you go and challenge them on something, it's like, well, no, no, it just can't be done. And it's like, well, okay, so you're obsessing about the score. You have no clue how it's really developed. And I understand why, because it's not like Equifax and TransUnion make it easy for anyone to know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> and so, sauce. yeah, it's a, you know, and, and I get that, but on, on the flip side, when you're desperate to get deals done, it's like, okay, well, I can't, I can't just go back to my client and say, well, sorry, you know, you, you know, come back in a year. It's yeah. how, how do I get this done? And if we can't get it done, what do you need to do specifically step-by-step step in order to get it done? That's fantastic. Yeah. So, the, so, the, so you left being a broker and then you wrote your first book and you opened up your, the other business called eCredit Fix. Yes. Yeah. So the, the transition was, uh, uh, definitely a big jump uh, because I was doing a lot of good volume, uh, busy, uh, but because I had spent so much time on the book and studying thousands of credit reports and now starting to get some traction on like some really good feedback from clients, they'd say, well, the book's great, but can you just fix it for me? <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, well, let's see what I can do. And And I found out that I actually have direct and exclusive access that the consumers don't have. And so when I was telling them to go and say, well, just call Equifax, you know, they'd come back and say, have you ever tried to call these guys? And I had never called through the consumer side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I start sitting through there, the hours and the headaches of, you know, them all of a sudden disconnecting all the lines just because they wanted to, um, you know, talking to someone in the Philippines because that's where the call center is routed to. And, their whole society doesn't run on credit like it does here in North America. And so first of all, you're talking to someone where there may be an inc- uh, like a language barrier, uh, which is hard enough. And then you're then talking to someone who really has no concept whatsoever on credit or what it's doing to you and are just re- reading from a script. And then their script is essentially designed to tell you to get off the phone. Like, what, what do I need to say so we, for you to hang up, right? Because 
they legally have to provide a way for the Canadians to fix their credit, but there is no rating system. Uh, you know, there is no government agencies that that's essentially saying, well, you're, you got great customer service. This is great. Uh, and so really, you know, it's, it's a bunch of consumers really ticked off because they're trying to do what's right. They're trying to figure out what's going on, but with no one to really help them, uh, you know, I kept on running across that time and time again. And I understood what they needed from the brokering or the mortgage world, but my passion and seeing time and time again, you know, is just dealing with brokers clients all the time is like, they just need someone to either do it for them or at least point them in the right direction. And so I thought that could be my, my niche. That's awesome. So yeah, you, you followed your passion and created a really amazing business and, yeah. and a couple books. And I'm sure this is going to lead into a lot more speaking engagements and training. That's great. Yeah. I wish they would do this in high school. You know, start, <laughs> start teaching people young about their credit. Yeah. And I, I've done some with the, the, the schools and, and it's always fun, but there's so much to learn and it'd be really nice to get with people before they mess it all up. Um, and, and not even like, not even the concept of paying your bills on time because I'm sure everyone's mom has told them that, yeah. but the, the concept of how does it all work? What are the things you need to focus on? What are the, like, where are the traps? Because that's the biggest one is, is people always say, well, I have great credit. Well, that's great. But do you know all the trips that traps that could come between now and the time that you need financing? Because that really sucks when you assume you have good credit and then all of a sudden you're getting declined or charged higher rates until they have to see you, Chad. (laughs) One of my favorite things is, you know, the customers go on to put the fraud warning on the the true name where they got a phone, right? Call this phone number. Yeah. And then they don't have that cell phone anymore. Yeah. And it can take quite a time before you can get that phone number updated and, you know, they got four days to wave a house or wave a condition and, um, and that's, uh, so yeah, get pre-approved, have your credit checked early, monitor it. Yeah. Um, know what's going on. It It is a game. And, and that's the title of the, the new book is, is the credit game. And, you know, we're all playing it, whether you want to or not. Uh, you can sit on the sidelines if you want, but it, we're all part of this game just because that's our, what our society has deemed as necessary. And, you know, insurance and love life and everything is kind of tied around this credit score. Uh, you might as well know what's affecting it because uh, it's not just pay your bills on time. Absolutely. Well, one of the things you talk about is that, you know, the score, right, th- that there is no just the score. That's kind of ambiguous. Each, each <laughs> bank has different ones. And, you know, why is one version? I had a client the other day said, well, my, my score at the uh, at the car dealership was 50 points higher than yours. What's going yeah. on? And and then everyone just assumes it's because you pulled a new credit report uh, and that inquiry dropped your score magically 50 points. Right. Uh, no, that's not how it works. Uh, yes, you can drop a few points, but not 50 points by an inquiry. So the, this is where a lot of the confusion comes into play, even when you're not even looking at the score, but even the advice that is provided by different professionals out there is they say, well, this will build your credit score. Okay. Well, what's credit score are you talking to, right? Or referring to, right? Because yes, that may be true for the ERS 2.0 score, but does it affect the FICO score or the, the, the bankruptcy indication, uh, you know, navigation score? Like what, what score are you talking about? Cause we use credit score as this, you know, as 
you know, you're either got it or you don't, or it's mm. good or it's bad. Yeah. But a, a score, what you see on the consumer side, when you go and pay for it with Equifax and TransUnion, or you use one of these free, free apps mm. can be a hundred, 200 points different from what the banks and lenders are seeing. So it, yeah. it really to try and obsess about the score is very misleading. And that's something that I think consumers need to know more about. I agree. So what's your opinion of the things like the credit karmas of the world and all those that, you know, the score is typically very different than the institutions are pulling or the mortgage brokers are pulling. Yeah. So the, the, I think one of the things I love about these new apps and all the advertising that they do is it is bringing more emphasis on credit in general uh, no one wants to pay 20 bucks every time that they check a credit score. Um, and so when you get it for free, well, then it brings more attention to it. And, and, and I think that's really important for people to know, especially with all the fraud and errors that are on credit reports, uh, to be able to check it and see, wait, wait a second, I didn't open up an account. What's this inquiry from, you know, this lender? And it, and it allows you to be more proactive with, with your credit. So I, I really applaud those types of services for it. And, and I do like them on the fact that they're free and, and that you can track what's going on with your credit. Uh, what I don't like about this obsession about the score is that people assume that because they see a 700 or an 800 or even a 500, that that is what your score is. And, uh, getting more people to focus on the score is really the opposite of what my message is. Um, right. my, my focus is, you know, don't worry about the score because you will never be able to actually see the score unless you're a bank or lender anyway. So right. don't, don't obsess about the score. Let's focus on how to play the game and what controls the score. And once you know that, then you're in control. You're not sitting back like, you know, why did my score just drop 20 points or why is it, you know, oh yeah, it's good this week and, or this month and the next month it's mm. dropped, uh, which leaves you kind of sitting on the sidelines, just watching the game. No, let's get involved in, and once you know how it is played, then really you're in control. And, you know, if you're going to speed and, and get a ticket as a consequence, that's fine. But at least, you know, going ahead that, that, that was, you broke a rule, so now there's a consequence. Right. But what really sucks is when you get caught for speeding when you just assume that it was something different, and then you know you're really upset. And so I, I just want to give consumers or Canadians, especially that that choice and and know what is going on, so they're not always playing the victim. That's great. Well, so what are the so what are some of the basic rules that you that you advise the clients and uh, to look out for? What are the basics of the game? So some of the basics, uh, you know, that they look at, well, one is actually looking at the credit report uh, because knowing what's on the credit report and if there's errors or fraud is the most important aspect of credit. Uh, people will, you know, just assume that they have good credit because the last time they went into the bank and wanted a loan, they got it. Yeah. So great, that that's good. But, you know, some other fraudster has just, you know, taken you for $30,000 and now you have to go and fight with Equifax and TransUnion to get that actually corrected. So yeah. that that's something that uh, is is the basics of everything. Uh, another big one and, and part of that 
is that a lot of people only pull one. And so that is only looking at what I refer to as, you know, half of half of the coin or one side of the coin. Right. Yeah. You really need to look at both Equifax and TransUnion in order to know how your credit is doing. And right. and most people will draw to one company as opposed to the other and just assume that, you know, if if Equifax is saying this, then TransUnion is saying the exact same thing. Well, that's not true either. Uh, it can be completely different stories because uh, not all banks and lenders report to both report reporting uh, agencies. And then uh, like collections or, or different companies will use different credit reporting uh, agencies. Right. And so that leaves really in order to know what your credit's like, you, you got to be checking both Equifax and TransUnion. Absolutely. Yeah. Over my years, I noticed RBC tends to, you know, they love TransUnion and only report occasionally to Equifax. So yeah. there's like a two or three month lag all the time with RBC <laughs> accounts versus um, the TransUnion, which they report monthly. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe bank with RBC, maybe bank with uh, TD, who, uh, you know, generally focuses on Equifax. Mm-hmm. Regardless, uh, you know, when you go and apply for a credit card with either of those, uh, they'll pull both a lot of times. And so either way, you need to know what's on both as, as one of the, the basic principles of, of knowing how your credit is. So one of the snippets I, I, I read in, in, in the, the, the book was about Facebook and your credit score. And I was like, what on earth is that? <laughs> that, that really, that's a new one. So tell, tell yeah. them about that, about that. Well, actually, there, there are some scoring algorithms uh, that they test in the States on, on actually looking at your Facebook profile. But what I'm referring to with Equifax and TransUnion is your relationship status. And, uh-huh. and just with Facebook, you know, being single or uh, in a relationship, whether it's uh, married or it's complicated, uh, whatever your status is, it's important to know that joint credit really affects both you and whoever you have that joint credit with, which is a problem that a lot of people don't really think of because we go into first a relationship only only assuming or hoping that it's going to be a positive experience, (laughs) which unfortunately the odds are not in our favor on, on that actually being a, you know, staying as, as just in a relationship. Uh, There's a lot of things that can happen with that. Uh, But even if separation or divorce isn't something that comes up, one of the main problems with just joint credit in general is the fact that, uh, if someone were to pass away, that other person then inherits all of the debt. Uh, sometimes, well, you can't have joint credit with someone who has passed away. And so as soon as the lender finds out about it, they'll essentially, they could call the, the debt, mm-hmm. uh, which could put some people into uh, some situations where they just don't want to be. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've noticed a lot, it's, it's better now, but there's a lot of people that still don't understand about a spousal card is not actually a joint. Debt. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still seeing, you know, couples with the, typically the, the lady of the relationship having little to no credit. Yeah. And that, and, and it's unfortunate as well, especially when they just assume that, that, that spousal co- card or that co-applicant card is building their credit. Uh, because even if your name is on your own credit card and you have your own, you know, what you think is your account, if it's not reporting as an individual account, then 
it, it could be a co-applicant card. And, and so if it's not showing up on your credit report, then it's obviously not building your credit. And regardless of how well you've handled that, then, then really it's not benefiting you whatsoever. And so, you know, I've had situations where even on vehicle loans, a couple go, goes in and their name is on the, this car loan, but the lender decides only to report it to one, uh, like only one of the applicants. And they assume that it's building both of their credit. They're trying to reestablish. Well, if it's not showing up on both credit reports, then it's only reestablishing or building one credit account, right. which comes into problems, especially when you're going for mortgage financing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what do you find if a customer is trying to improve their credit overall, not just their score, but improve, you know, what are the, the top three things you recommend that they do? So one of the biggest uh, contributors is, uh, you know, late payments, which uh, doesn't surprise really anyone. Right. Uh, however, <laughs> what I've found is that people don't understand which accounts actually show up on the credit report. Right. And so one of the things that I find all the time, and, and I work with a lot of brokers across Canada and their clients, and a lot of times their client has, has messed up on a cell phone account. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, cell phones aren't like a credit card, right? They're, they're taking care of the credit card and their loans and their mortgages, of course, but that cell phone, yeah, not a big deal. And so consumers really still don't understand that even though they're supposed to pay on time, they'll pay some of the bill with a cell phone. But what they don't understand is that a cell phone, it, there is no minimum payment. You pay all of it or it's late. So even if you're a dollar short, if you don't take care of that before the due date, then essentially the the company, uh, the telecom company, will register that as a late payment on both Equifax and TransUnion. Right. Which comes into play because when a mortgage broker or any lender is looking at your credit report, you know your thought process is, well, it's not it's not a big deal. It's just a cell phone, right? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll just take care of it next month and. And some of the companies will actually tell you that it's okay. Just, you know, they're not going to shut off service. Just, you just take care of it next month. However, in the bank's mind, you know, they look at it and say, well, if you can't control a cell phone, why am I going to give you $400,000? Absolutely. And it's like, well, yeah, if you look at it from that perspective, then yeah, it makes sense why a cell phone is such an important indicator of how you deal with your credit. Because sure. if, if you can't control you know, a couple hundred dollar payment each month, then why are we going to give you a thousand or $2,000 payment to mess up? <laughs> so that's how the lenders look at it. And and so a lot of consumers don't understand what does show up. Right. And, and so the concept is there. Yes, we know pay your bills on time, but uh, still that cell phone is what I find is, is like a huge problem mm-hmm. for consumers and, and mortgage brokers out there because they're trying to get it done. And they can't because of all these late payments on a cell phone. Absolutely. I, um, one of my friends that I know works, uh, works for Equifax and years ago, and it's, it's public knowledge, but they were saying that they're going to start putting utility bills, um, as well. Although I've never seen it actually show up, but there's a lot of talk about that being part of the credit scores and, and reporting. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. In the States, you have the ability to actually ask for rent or utilities to show up, mm-hmm. uh, but not in Canada. So at this point, 
the only things that really show up are cell phones, like we've been talking about, uh, credit cards, lines of credit, and loans, and then mortgages are now showing up on pretty much all versions of the credit report. So uh, once again, not all banks and lenders report. Uh, the major banks do, uh, but uh, those are the main ones are are the ones, uh, credit cards, lines of credit, loans, and mortgages, and cell phones. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about uh, a lot of advice that we get from uh, the branch is, um, you know, customers walk into the branch and say, oh, your credit limit is $20,000. Um, you owe ten. I think you should drop it to ten thousand, so it helps your helps you get approved. Yeah. So there's there's a, a theory in real life going on uh, in pretty much all aspects of life, and and we sit there and talk about theory, and then when we go into the real world, we start realizing that the theory can really mean absolutely nothing when it comes down to it. So. That was one of the things that I really wanted to change with uh, my first book and, uh, and also this uh, continuing on with this, this book was I don't really like, yes, we'll, we'll talk about the theory, but let's put it into real life perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that I did uh, for the first book <laughs> is I, I tested this theory of, you know, too much credit is a bad thing mm-hmm. or, or limits how high is too high when it comes to a credit card limit. And so what I what I did was I I went out and started accepting all of these offers from credit card companies. So uh, ended up getting up to about twenty different credit cards, wow. uh, and you know they just kept on offering me higher limits, and you know I just got I started accepting them, and so I I was tracking that to see how each one would affect the credit score. What you know would it drop? Would it go up? Uh, was there any indication whatsoever that having too many credit cards or, or loans in general was a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I found that in Equifax and TransUnion on their scoring algorithm, there is no negative for having too many accounts open yeah. as long as there's not a lot of balances with that or, or too high of balance. Right. And so that was one of the things that I learned. Uh, the other thing... I learned is when I went, uh, you know, so that was kind of, okay. And, and in the brokering side of things, most of the lenders, even if you have a couple cards open and, and it's got a $20,000 limit, mm-hmm. as long they'll take it from the balance, that's how they, they take your balance and your minimum payment. And then they'll run that against how much money you make and, and determine what kind of risk you are or what your debt servicing. Yeah. If you want to use that uh, industry term, uh, is just your income versus your debt responsibilities on a monthly basis. So on, on the broker side, they, they just take whatever your balance is at the time. They pull the credit report and, you know, 3% and, and that's, they run away with it. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> in the branch, uh, you know, I had an experience where I actually went into a branch and I was trying to get some uh, business banking done. And, and so they pulled the credit report <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had, I got all these credit cards, right? didn't rack up the limits, but I, you know, had all these high limits, uh, up to about 200,000 of credit card limit. And, uh, it, it brought a very strange look from, from the, the banker <laughs> because, uh, you know, why, why do you have all these credit cards? Like, why do you have such a high limit on all of these cards? And I said, well, you guys just kept on giving it to me. I wrote a book. I was trying to determine what was going on anyway. So she's like, but, yeah, one of the things you got to be careful of is that on our side, 
on the bank and branches side, they, when you go in with a limit, they will actually max that out a lot of times in their system. And so, yeah, assume that you are going to use it because technically the next day you could go and rack it up. And so they go and max out your, your debt servicing on based on those limits, not what your balance is. And so that causes a lot of problems. And so in my book, I go through the, the kind of the both theory and real life that just because Equifax actually will increase your score, the higher the limit versus the balance. Right. Uh, and, and TransUnion as well, th- there's kind of that happy medium because with the banks, you don't want to have, you know, a $40,000 credit card limit if if you only make $50,000 a year because you're not going to get approved for any of the banking stuff that you need. I mean, you could always use a broker, but there are stuff obviously that a broker doesn't do uh, that you may need. And, and that's something to keep in to consideration that uh, you may not want to, use it as your retirement, uh, <laughs> you know, how much money can I, can I have as, as a buffer? Um, so that's, that's kind of the theory in real life on, on that situation. Yeah, for sure. And it's something I've seen the same thing happen over and over again, both in the broker side and the branch side. Um, you know, and it's a balance, right? Between, like you said, between yeah. having the high limits and, and making sure your credit score, if you're not writing a lot of debt, it doesn't matter. But if you're, yeah. You know, some of the clients are trying to, you know, do the balance transfer from one account to the other account and play that that game, which is also yeah. a very dangerous game. It is, yeah. But yeah, might as well play uh, some Russian roulette there while you're at it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> wow. One of those things. This is going to be an edit. <laughs> um so your book is coming out in when? A few weeks? It's launching? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, launching during Credit Week, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of that the 13th to the, I don't know, the 19th or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be uh, in Toronto uh, with uh, some uh, industry events, uh, doing some speaking and, and some promotion there. But because it is Credit Week, I thought, yeah, might as well have that the official launch date. So. That's right. Are you coming to the Toronto conference, the mortgage uh, yep. conference? Yeah, I'll be speaking there. Uh, oddly enough, not about credit, but about marketing. But uh, yeah, I, I will be there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'll be there as well. We'll see you then. Yeah. Um, and uh, I look forward to, you know, to buying a copy of this book and, and having it and giving it to my clients. Is it available as digital as well? Yeah. So the audiobook will be up as soon as uh, they approve it. Uh, okay. I guess there was one mistake on the, the image. And so... That's all taken care of, and uh, so it will be up as soon as you know another couple business days, I guess they say. So uh, the the ebook is up. Uh, the paper copy is technically ready um, and uh, and and available, and the audio book uh, should be up in a few days. So yeah, oh, if not already, yeah. Perfect. Well, in Toronto, I want to make sure I get a signed copy. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that costs extra. Yeah. <laughs> Just what kidding. kind of beer do you like? Yeah. <laughs> if you're away from five kids, that's a problem. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Just uh, peace and quiet is, is, is a nice, uh, nice payment there. For sure. Well, that's great. Listen, thank you very much, Richard. I really appreciate being on the, on the show. You and, bet. Uh, and hopefully we'll have you back on again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Chad. Thank you very much. Bye.